All right, good evening. Welcome to our lesson number 14 of our membership course. Um, tonight, talking about honoring our neighbors. And tonight, we're going to look a little closer at um, commandments 4 and 5. Those are listed for you at the top of page 92 um, in your workbook. Lesson 14, top of page 92 in that blue box. The fourth commandment reads like this. Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. What does this mean? We should fear and love God, that we do not dishonor or anger our parents and others in authority, but honor, serve, and obey them, and give them love and respect. And the fifth commandment, you shall not murder. What does this mean? We should fear and love God, that we do not hurt or harm our neighbor in his body, but help and befriend him in every bodily need. And so today, today tonight, talking about... Um, talking about honoring our neighbors according to the fourth and fifth commandments. And we're going to be starting in 2 Kings chapter 2, uh, looking especially in verses 23 and 24. It's a rather short reading. Um, and we're going to see the prophet Elisha and the disrespectful children. Um, and the two, the two summary points that you see there in your workbook. First, that Elisha was mocked by some children as he traveled. And the children learned from gr very gruesome circumstances to respect those in authority over them. So 2 Kings 2, 23 and 24. It is there on your screen. From there, Elisha went up to Bethel. As he was walking along the road, some youths came out of the town and jeered at him. Go on up, you bald head, they said. Go on up, you bald head. He turned around, looked at them, and called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. Then two bears came out of the woods and mauled forty-two of the youths, and he went on to Mount Carmel, and from there returned to Samaria. That's through verse 25. Alright, so what in the world is going on here? <laughs> um, there must be something more, because they're not just talking about, um, it's not just about his hairstyle or the lack thereof, right? Number one, how did the children show their lack of respect for Elisha? Well, and the, these youths, these young people, not necessarily like, you know, four or five, six years old, but maybe 12, 13, 14, even into older teenage years. Um, they said, you know, go on up, you bald head. And, and yeah, they made fun of him for being bald. But it's, it's that phrase, go on up. Go on up to that place of prayer he's caring about his duties as a prophet and they are mocking him obviously for something outside of his control um he doesn't have rogaine and even that is ineffective and it's not um anyway yeah they're mocking him for something outside of his control and on top of that they are mocking god and because they're mocking god's prophet so we'll start with that that they made fun of him for being bald um and number two elisha was one of god's prophets what was a prophet's job, thinking back to Lesson 5, that he was to speak for God. Um, so the prophets were to go and tell people God's word. So that gives us a little bit of a hint of what's going on here. Not just kids making fun of a person for being bald, but there's a little bit more here. Number three, um, and this is, this is a major point. How should the children have treated Elisha, whether he was a prophet or not? Well... <laughs> It's not nice. It's it's not respectful to mock somebody um, for for either something in their control or out of their control. There there's supposed to be mutual love and respect among people, and there wasn't. 
Um, so they should have been respectful to him, definitely. Read 1 Peter 2, verses 13 and 14, Hebrews 13, verses 7 and 17, and Ephesians 6, 1 and 2. In what areas of our lives has God placed people in authority over us? That's going to be in our supplemental passages. First um, Peter 2, verses 13 and 14, there on the screen. Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the king as to the supreme authority, or to the governor as those who have been sent by him to punish those who do what is wrong and to praise those who do what is right. All right, so submit to these human authorities as to the Lord. We're just going to scroll on down this way. Um, next one on the page, Hebrews 13, verses 7 and 17. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Carefully consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as men who will give an account. Obey them so that they may do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no benefit to you. And Ephesians 6, verses 1 and 2. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise. Alright, so in what areas of our life has God placed people in authority over us? Well, the government, um, in society. And also within within the church, that's the second area of life. You know, um, remember those who spoke the word of God to you and honor them. And then in the home, especially the relationship of child and parent. So number five, God's representatives in the government, the church, and our homes are to look out for our well-being and take care of us. God has given each of these entities special authority over different parts or different aspects of our lives. Is each one primarily concerned with our physical well-being, our spiritual well-being, or both? Um, the government is concerned with physical well-being, and they make trouble when they try to concern themselves with spiritual well-being. But they can't act in a way that is totally ignorant of spiritual well-being, but thankfully, um, the founding documents of our government have put certain constraints and restraints on the influence and power of the government in relation to spiritual matters. And, um, and thus far, you know, that, that's a good arrangement, and I really appreciate that <laughs> for the freedom that we have. Uh, so the government is entrusted with, spirit, with our physical well-being. The church is entrusted with spiritual well-being. You know, watch out for one another, and, and God, Christ has given to his church pastors, um, among others. And within the home is both, that children are supposed to listen to their parents, that parents are supposed to provide for their children, take care of their children, as well as teach their children and lead their children in the truth of God's word. Top of number six, top, uh, number six, top of page 93. What should our attitude be toward those in authority over us? Well, the attitude should be one of love and respect. And conversely, those who hold a position of authority or a position of high trust is sometimes, sometimes the phrase that we use, ought to conduct themselves in a way that is worthy of respect and love and, and conduct themselves in a way that is worthy of the authority entrusted to them. But for those, you know, all of us have authorities over us in this world 
and we ought to demonstrate love and respect to those whom God has placed over us, even no matter what we think of those people, but we demonstrate respect and love toward those people because of the Lord who has placed those people over us. Number seven, how might it be possible to do what one of God's representative wants? representatives wants me to do and still break the fourth commandment well if we're if we do that's kind of a difficult way of wording it i suppose but if we do what is asked but do so without love and respect well i guess i gotta pay my taxes uh, well i gotta obey the speed limit um and and some of that question gets into the, the power and influence that a government has within society. And I think that's one aspect where Christians would be well served to have a proper understanding of civics. That what are, what are the constraints that the government has placed upon itself in the founding documents of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and um, the constituting documents of our particular state. Um, where we want to demonstrate love and respect, but we also want to hold those government institutions to and encourage those government institutions to fulfill their obligations according to the law that because we're a nation of laws and rules that are written we want to encourage them to fulfill their duties according to the law and the authority as it is written in those constituting documents um, and part of that means that you and i have to serve as good citizens Part of that means that we are, yes, engaged in, in the civic discussion. And part of that means um, there are times when we will simply nod our heads and say, yes, this, this person, this entity, this authority deserves my love and respect, not because of who they are, but because of who our God is and who he has made me to be. Okay, so that, that's a little bit broader of a question, and, um, but it's something that I think is, is worthy of, of getting the full picture here that we want to demonstrate love and respect. And at the same time, we also are aware that the one who has placed this authority over us is the one who is the ultimate authority, our Lord. Uh, so number eight, read Hebrews 12, verses nine through 11. When I don't do what I should do, how should God's representatives in the government, church, or home respond? Hebrews 12, verses nine through 11 reads like this it's there on your screen in addition we have earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them should we not submit even more to the father of the spirits and live they disciplined us for a little while according to what seemed best to them but god disciplines us for our good so that we may have a share in his holiness no discipline seems pleasant when it is happening but painful yet later it yields a peaceful harvest of righteousness for those who have been trained by it that is Hebrews 12, verses 9 through 11. All right. Um, when we don't do what we should, what, when we don't fulfill our specific obligation in those different avenues of in those different aspects of our lives, talking about um, within society uh, where government is the authority, within the church where the pastor and the, the other called and publicly serving um, members of the church council or the elders especially, um, our, our, our authority, the visible earthly authority that God has placed here or within the home, especially talking about that parent-child relationship. Well, we should, there should, those authorities should respond with discipline to help correct the behavior and to encourage godly behavior as well as encourage the godly attitude for that behavior. 
Um, you can't expect the government to do all those things, obviously. And, and really the, the smallest and closest unit of society is the family. And that family is the place where especially Christian children learn law and gospel. And they have it applied to their lives and they learn proper discipline and boundaries and what it means to act ethically and morally and according to scripture in a world that doesn't act ethically or morally. Um, so obviously this is, this is a big topic. This is a topic that you and I have probably thought a lot about. And if you haven't thought a lot about it yet, you sure will by the time you get to the end of the video or the end of this podcast episode. Um, if you have any questions, be sure to contact me. Um, my contact information will be toward the end of this video. So our key term is discipline. Uh, this is done in love and it's teaching people so that they learn what to do, learn to do and to say what is right. Um, learn to act in a way that is in line with the law of God. Um, that's, <laughs> that's a little bit more, more precise, I suppose. Um, because when we talk about discipline and talk about an acting living and acting in a way that is right, um, we need to understand that there is one objective standard for what is right, and that is God's law. It is God's law as revealed in nature, as revealed in the conscience, as revealed clearly in, in his word. And that law in an order that he created in creation is what the government uses in their governing. And for the Christian, you've got the clarity of God's word, and then you can also see the law as God has inscribed it on our human hearts. And even in society, you can make an argument based on uh, the nature of things, based on creation, based on the law written on human hearts, um, based on the proper understanding of God's law. You can, you can advocate for good and godly things, um, knowing that in the public sphere, you're going to be dealing primarily with the realm of human reason. And so you don't want to be necessarily basing your argument on scripture, even though you might be echoing a scriptural truth. <laughs> you know, I, I could talk about this all day, obviously. Uh, number nine, how might our leaders in the government, church, or home carry out discipline? Well, the government, um, you know, as some examples, maybe they issue tickets or they demand jail time or a fine or retribution or something like that. Um, in the church, there's teaching, there is rebuking sin, um, speaking, you know, admonishing sin, um, carrying out church discipline which means excluding somebody from communing with us. Um, well, and, and that's generally announced, and it's a little bit longer process to hopefully in, involve the congregation in calling this and encouraging this beloved fellow Christian to return to repentance so that their impenitent sin doesn't end up destroying their faith. And then finally, home. Uh, some examples there, maybe the child is grounded, or maybe the child, when they're a little bit younger, they have to stand in the corner for a little while um, until, until they, you know, they learn that or remember that their action was incorrect, and then you can talk with them. Maybe there are some timeouts or takeaway privileges. Um, gently use physical correction. That's, that was kind of... That one is, is something that... There are a lot of ways to get a child's attention. And physical correction, it, it's not demanded by scripture. Um, it is permitted in scripture, but 
there are probably better ways, especially as the child gets older, there are probably better ways to get the child's attention and to have a conversation with them in a way that encourages godly living in line with the law of God. Um, that's what we talked about, discipline. Um, in love, teaching people so that they learn to act in a way that is in line with God's law. Number 10, what are some ways that we can show love and respect to our leaders in the government, church, and in the home? Uh, the government, follow rules and be respectful. Um, the church, we can listen to the leaders and come for worship and check what is taught um, against the word of God. And please ask questions. And that's a, that's a wonderful thing. Um, and then in the home, modeling good leadership in the home, respect for one's spouse, uh, respect and being kind to and helping our own parents, and respecting and you know caring for our children, carrying out our responsibilities faithfully is one way of encouraging and inculcating this uh, love and respect even within the home. Read Acts 5 verses 27 through 29. What is one time when we ought not to listen or to obey the leaders that God has placed over us? That's right here. After the captain and the officers brought the apostles in, they had them stand before the Sanhedrin. The high priest asked them, Did we not give you strict orders not to teach in this name? Look, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you are determined to bring this man's blood down on us. But Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. All right. Um, there we are. So we must obey God rather than men when they were de demanded to um, refrain from doing something that God said that they should do. So when these leaders demand us or tell us that we need to sin against God, need to carry out a sin, not that they simply permit a sin, um, but that they involve you in it or they demand that you carry out that sin, um, then we must obey God rather than men. And I, as a good Christian, as a, as a Christian, I cannot in good conscience um, in, encourage or condone um, something that is sinful. And, and I don't want to be involved in that. And according to the, yes, even to, according to the, um, the structure of our government as laid out in our founding documents, our constituting documents, which is what we have to go by because we're a nation of laws, according to what is laid out in our written documents, there is, a, there is plausible reason and plausible times when a Christian or any other person of faith may say, my conscience and my religious beliefs do not allow me to continue with this. But at the same time, there might be times when we have to bear the cross. That is, there might be times when we will have to suffer for our faith, and we need to be ready for that. Okay, getting a lot, a lot more extra commentary tonight on this topic. Um, number 12, how does the fourth commandment serve as a mirror for us? That is the second use of the law. Um, it shows how we have disobeyed or disrespected the representatives that God has placed over us. Mirror shows our sin. Uh, the law as a mirror shows how we have sinned against God. Number 13, top of page 94. How did Jesus keep the fourth commandment in our place through his active obedience? This is Luke 2, 51 and 52. 
Jesus went down with them and came to Nazareth. He was always obedient to them, and his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, and in favor with God and with people. So we see that Jesus was perfectly obedient to his parents and the government and the church leaders. Um, when the church leaders wrongfully convicted him of, of claiming that he was the Messiah, even though he wasn't, when in actuality he was the Messiah, um, when they wrongfully convicted him, then he didn't, he didn't contest that. He bowed his head and they sent him off to be crucified. And when Pilate sent him off to be crucified, he didn't contest that either. He was absolutely perfect in his obedience, even to the extent where that obedience and that authority that was over him had acted incorrectly and out of line with the authority with which they had been entrusted. Number 14, this is still on page 94. How did Jesus solve our continued breaking of the fourth commandment through his passive obedience on our behalf? Well, Jesus died and forgave us for all the times we have not treated his representatives as we should. Um, you know, maybe there's there's been a time in your lifetime, certainly in mine, where I, I heard my relatives say, well, we, we respect the office, but we don't, of the presidency, <laughs> whatever the case may be. We respect the office, but not the man. Um, even if the person in a particular governmental office is not worthy of respect, at the same time, we still owe them our love and respect and prayers. Um, and prayers that, yes, maybe God would, God would curb the sin in their own life and that God would uh, provide opportunity for his Christians and especially encourage his Christians to, to share his word so that the citizens of the country would have their hearts changed and so that the citizens would recognize, according to the scripture, what it means to honor those God has placed over us and to love one another in a society together. Number 15, how does the fourth commandment serve as a guide? The third use of the law for us, a guide for thankful Christian living. We want to thank God for forgiving our sins by obeying his representatives joyfully. Joyfully. That adverb is not always easiest, but it is part of how we want to live as Christians. So the diagram you see on your page in green, that God blesses us by church and and home and government and in these areas he has placed certain representatives um, and according to the fourth commandment we are to honor them by serving and obeying in love and respect always and we are to refrain from disobedience dishonor or anger um, there's always a lot more that could be said there but I think that's a good start for us uh, next section the parable of the Good Samaritan Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. If you're following along in your paper Bible um, or in a Bible app on your phone, Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Footnotes there from Deuteronomy 6 verse 5 and Leviticus 19 verse 18. Verse 28 there on your screen. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. 
but he wanted to justify himself. That is, he wanted to attain and work his own forgiveness. So he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. Uh, scroll down a little bit. There we are. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So on your, in your workbook, uh, the summary points. First of all, a man believed that he could get to heaven by what he did. He asked Jesus some questions in order to attempt to verify that he deserved eternal life. And Jesus' answer... Um, <laughs> what is written in the law? How do you read it? Verse 26. And Jesus' answer says, well, if you want to earn your way to heaven, then you need to look at God's law. And, and, and this guy says, well, love God perfectly and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, well, do this correctly. If you do this, you will live. And guy, you could almost hear the embarrassment. Like, I just, I just asked Jesus this silly question that everybody knew it was like a first grade, first grade question, and um, and he said, "Okay, just do it." <laughs> but he wanted to justify himself. Verse twenty nine. So he asked Jesus, "And who is my neighbor?" All right, what's the circle of people that I have to love? What's the circle of people? that I have to be nice to is that, you know, when, when we say love your neighbor as yourself there in verse 27 from Leviticus chapter 19, uh, Leviticus yeah, 19 verse 18, when we say love your neighbor as yourself, um, I can do that for people that I like, for people that I love. Um, if the circle is nice and small of maybe five or six people, I have a chance of earning my way to heaven. If the circle expands to 10 or 12, then my chances diminish. If my circle expands to 15 to 20, um, if I work really hard, I might be able to do it. So he says, who is my neighbor? How big does the circle have to be? And Jesus tells this parable, and in the telling of this parable, he switches that question around. He says, basically, that the man is asking, who's my neighbor? And the question he should be asking is, how can I be a neighbor to somebody else? which the logical conclusion to that, this is a little bit more involved, the logical conclusion then is that I cannot earn my way to heaven on the basis of what I do because I'm supposed to be a perfect neighbor, loving, respectful person to everyone, even to those I don't like, even to those who don't look like me, even to those who have different beliefs than I, even to those who hold different values and, and ideas than I. Oh, that's something different entirely. Okay, that's where we're going in this parable. So number 16, um, parable of the Good Samaritan. In Jesus' parable, how did the robbers hurt the man? What did they do? The sin of commission, um, the sin of commit, what did they commit? 
They beat him and took his possessions, leaving him half dead. Eesh. Talk about a mugging. Number 17, top of page 95. How did the priest and the Levite hurt the man by what they neglected to do? Neither helped the man. They passed by on the other side. They said, oh, no, that's not for me. Not my circus, not my monkeys. I'm out of here. Number 19, or number 18, sorry. What about our lives is so important that God protects them with the fifth commandment, which is what we're looking at here. The fifth commandment, you shall not murder. What does this mean? We should fear and love God that we do not hurt or harm our neighbor in his body, but help and defend him in every bodily need. So what is it about our lives that is so important for God to protect it with the fifth commandment? Well, our lives are the time to learn about God's forgiveness in the personal work of Jesus Christ. And that this span of 20 years or 40 years or 60 or 80 years or however many years God gives you here on earth. The span of your life is the time that God gives to come to faith. There are no second chances. There's no gray area. There's no such thing as purgatory. It's a myth. It's completely made up with no basis in scripture. You cannot work your way to heaven. After you die, your time is done and it's either heaven or hell for all eternity. And this time right now on earth is the time for you to come to faith and to learn who this real Jesus is. So our key term, time of grace, the time during our lives when we have the chance to come to faith in Jesus as our Savior. So the time of our lives. Number 19, do we have the right to take any lives? Well, no, we should not kill anyone. Um, and... And that word in the fifth commandment, you shall not murder. The commandment is not you shall not kill. The commandment is you shall not murder. There, um, there have been you know, numerous high-profile cases. Um, you think of you know, soldiers in battle where maybe one soldier kills somebody who is, who is about to kill his, his fellow soldiers. Um, that soldier helped and defended his neighbor in their bodily need by preventing the death of his of his comrades, of those who are with him, by bringing about the death of the enemy. And that's, that's not murder. That is preserving life through ending another life, ending another threat. Um, so do we have the right to take any lives? No. The, but the, the commandment here says you shall not murder. So, I mean, that, that's, another, that's another aspect that we could talk a little bit more about because um, we have some examples coming up here in just a moment about different different avenues for murder and but the word here is is not well we'll get to that uh, so number 20 sorry there we are who has the right to take human life read Romans 13 verses 3 through 5 that's Where Paul writes, rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to evil. Would you like to have no fear of the one in authority? Do what is good, and you will receive praise from him, because he is God's servant for your benefit. But if you do wrong, be afraid, because he does not carry the sword without reason. He is God's servant, a punisher to bring wrath. Excuse me, we'll scroll back up here. A punisher to bring wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the governing authority, not only because of wrath, but also because of conscience, that this governing authority has the authority 
from God to carry out and bring a death to those that are in opposition to him. Um, and, and if that death was carried out improperly, yes, God will still hold that governing authority accountable. Uh, so number 20, this is midway down page 95. Who has the right to take human life? Well, only God has the right to end a life. He has delegated that authority to the government in order to punish wrongdoing. <clears throat> then we get to a few key terms. Capital punishment um, is the government punishing wrongdoing by taking somebody's life. Um, this is generally reserved for well, premeditated murder, where somebody didn't just accident. It's not for little crimes. It's where somebody planned out somebody else's death and then they carried it out, and um, and that's completely applicable under under scripture and it is permissible um and yeah <laughs> uh, i love i love these topics these fourth and fifth commandments when we get to the application of what does it look like in our modern society it's one of the some of the more interesting areas fourth fifth and sixth uh for sure um the following key terms summarize ways that we can hurt ourselves or others and thus break the fifth commandment uh, the key term, suicide, uh, is killing yourself, murder of oneself. Murder means, you know, murder is to cut somebody's time of grace short to end their life, by ending their life. Uh, euthanasia, sometimes called mercy killing, murdering someone to end their suffering. And that is based generally on a mistaken idea of the value of human life that human life only has value when it has quality and when it doesn't have the quality that 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 person or that their loved ones think that the person needs or deserves then they should just end that human life um, and that is wrong because it's not our place to take life like that it's not our place to murder and god has not delegated to us the authority to end our own lives or end the lives of another um, our key term abortion is the murder of an unborn child. Uh, we know from scripture that that a person is sinful from the moment of conception. Um, Psalm 51 verse 5 talks pretty explicitly about conception. And the word that it uses there is very precise in referring to the moment when, um, when, that, when that baby is conceived at the very earliest stages of human development. And where there is sin, there is a human life. So you can't have something that is sinful that is not human and alive. So like a chair can't be sinful, a book, um, or you know, a, a couch, or a wall, or a shoe. These things cannot be sinful um, because they are not alive. We might use them for sinful purposes. Somebody m might write a book with sinful content. Um, a chair might be used to harden, harm somebody else by, you know, bashing it over your head like it's WWF, also known as WWE, um, out of like 1997, right? Or maybe Hulk Hogan or something like that. Um, but that object in and of itself is not sinful because it's not human and it's not alive. And the fact that God describes these unborn children in the very earliest stages of their development as sinful tells us that, first of all, they are human, second of all, they are alive. And the purposeful ending of a pregnancy is murder. Number 21. This is top of 96. 
We can break the fifth commandment without ever taking somebody's life or hurting someone, as the robbers did, or ignoring somebody in great bodily need, as the priest and the Levite did. Read Matthew 5, 21 and 22. How does Jesus say we can break this commandment without ever actually physically hurting somebody? That is in these supplemental passages here on your screen. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said to people long ago, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that everyone who is angry with his brother without a cause will be subject to judgment, and whoever says to his brother, Raka, will have to answer to the Sanhedrin. But whoever says, You fool, will be in danger of hellfire. What's that mean? How does Jesus say we can break this commandment without ever actually physically hurting someone? Well, hating someone, saying mean things to them, tearing them down, um, rather than using our words to build them up and encourage them or, or rebuke them and discipline them. That, that can still be done in love when it is prompted by love and in line with the law of God. That is a loving action, even though it may be somewhat more confrontational. Um, but that's never our goal, never our purpose. Our purpose and our goal is to act with love and respect toward our neighbor. That is, the other people that we encounter in our lives. Number 22, if we hold a grudge against someone, why would we be guilty of breaking the fifth commandment? Well, we'd be harboring anger in our hearts towards somebody. Number 23, read Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. Instead of getting angry with someone who wrongs us in some way, what should we do? Matthew 18... Short verse here. Jesus said, If your brother sins against you, go and show him his sin just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have regained your brother. So what does Jesus say we should do? Well, talk to the other person about the sin. And when somebody talks to you about your sin, about something you said or did, and even if you didn't mean it, even if it was a total misunderstanding, then apologize wholeheartedly and sincerely. I, I'm sorry I, I said that. I shouldn't have said that. I'm, I'm sorry that I hurt you. It was never my intent, but I realized that I did. <laughs> and I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Yes, I forgive you. Number 24. Jesus' parable was not really intended to show how we should treat one another, should be obvious that we should not hurt others or that we should help somebody who needs help. The point of Jesus' parable was to answer the man's question about whom he should consider his neighbor. That was verse 29. And we talked about that previously. Um, because here's this man's question. How tight, how small of a circle, how many, how many people do I actually have to be a neighbor to um, in order to earn heaven by my works? And Jesus made the good guy in the parable a Samaritan. We even have laws named after him now. The Good Samaritan Law, right? Uh, Samaritans live to the north of Judea. So the nation of Israel is this north and south, pretty skinny, skinny nation, country. And the middle third of it was this, this other country called Samaria. And uh, they didn't get along with the Jewish people. So the northern part is Galilee, and the middle is Samaria. The bottom is Judea. And all these people from up in Galilee are going down to Judea at least three times a year, and maybe more often. And, um, and they didn't like the Samaritans, and they even went, they crossed the Jordan River and went outside of the land of Israel 
and um, and expose themselves to bandits and criminals and mugging <laughs> in order to avoid going through Samaria. That's how much they didn't like the Samaritans and vice versa. It was just blatant racism. Uh, so the Samaritans lived to the north of Judea and were people with whom Jewish people did not get along with at all. Jesus' answer to the man's question was really, everyone on earth is your neighbor. And how, the question should be not, who is my neighbor, but how can I be a neighbor? Read Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48. How does Jesus say we should treat all people, even those with whom we don't get along? In our supplemental passages here, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Indeed, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Even tax collectors do that, don't they? If you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the unbelievers do that? So then, be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. How does Jesus say we should treat all people, even those with whom we don't get along? Well, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And it's pretty difficult to harbor hatred in your heart towards somebody while also praying for them. Praying for their repentance, praying that one day they will be in heaven with you as somebody who rejoiced in the forgiveness Jesus won. Number 25, the man correctly summarized the second of the two tables of the law that we should love our neighbors as we love ourselves. What does this parable teach us that will apply to our study of the fourth through the tenth commandments? Well, that we are to love everyone on earth. 26, how does the fifth commandment serve as a mirror? It shows us our sin. It shows us that we have hurt our neighbors and neglected to help others as we should. How does Jesus keep the fifth commandment in our place through how did Jesus keep the fifth commandment in our place through his active obedience? Well, he always helped, always loved. And that perfect record is counted as yours and mine. Number 28. How did Jesus solve our continued breaking of the fifth commandment through his passive obedience? Well, he died. He allowed himself to be crucified to win forgiveness for you and for me for all the times that we haven't treated others properly. And finally, number 29, how does the fifth commandment serve as a guide, the third use of the law for us, a guide for thankful Christian living? Well, you think of just the way it's phrased, we should fear and love God that we do not hurt or harm our neighbor in his body, but help and befriend him in every bodily need. So we'll help others in all things as one way to thank God for rescuing us from our sins. So top of page 97, the green diagram there, um, the fifth commandment protects God's gift of life um, because this gift of life is the time of grace, is the time for that God has given for us to come to faith in his son Jesus as our savior. And that time of grace is ended only by God or by his chosen representative in the government. So what does it mean? Um, according to honor, honor God's gift of life in the fifth commandment, that we ought to be patient and show kindness, uh, forgive and help others, be a friend and defend others, um, and encourage one another. 
and we refrain from murder and abortion. We refrain from revenge and harming other people in their body. We refrain from the abuse of substances that will hurt or harm our own body. Um, we'll refrain from suicide. And if you're having, if you're struggling with some mental health uh, issues right now, or you need somebody to talk to, my phone number is at the bottom. And and we have um, one of the options that our congregation offers is free confidential counseling through Zoom with a licensed clinical therapist who is also of the same faith as us. So this is somebody who can encourage you, who has the clinical tools and expertise to help with whatever your problem or issue or what happens to be. Um, as well as the common faith to pray with you and to help encourage you based on the word of God. Okay, So if that is something that you're interested in, be sure to contact me. Um, I'll have my, my contact info up in just a minute. Um, and we also refrain from hateful thoughts and words. If you have any other questions, please contact me. Um, wrapping it up, our connection question. Our world has become very divisive. How do we apply these two commandments when we consider our attitude toward people in authority who seem to have a very different value system than we do? Again, this is these three, these two commandments are two of my favorite to have Bible classes on, and it's probably time for another one because um, there's always, always new applications to think about and discuss. So one, one way of looking at it, that we may disagree with those in authority, over us, recognizing that their view of the world and their decisions conflict with God's word and God's will. Doesn't mean their their worldview is is of the same value or the same weight, just that it happens to have the greater influence in our lives than a more biblical worldview. Uh, we can express our concerns and vote accordingly. We can make use of our our you know constitutionally protected right to free speech. However, we recognize that their authority comes from God. And for that reason, we treat them with love and respect. Treat them well. So our homework. Um, here's my contact information, Pastor Hagen at iCloud.com, P-A-S-T-O-R-H-A-G-E-N at iCloud.com, or 419-262-8280. Feel free to text or call or email. Um, if you're going to be calling, uh, leave a voicemail or, um, or text me first and then call. Um, email and email always always works but you're probably in the same boat as I that I get a lot of scam calls and so um, if I don't recognize a number just leave a message and I'll get back to you for sure uh, the other homework is listed for you in your workbook review pages 60 68 to 80 and then read pages 81 to 90 and we've got a number of terms that we discussed tonight and then finally, if you haven't yet, check out our podcast. The, you could just search for RWJ in your podcast app or in Apple or Amazon or Spotify, uh, Pandora, and pretty much anywhere you might find a podcast. Um, you'll find the RWJ Daily Podcast, Raised with Jesus. And you'll probably also find RWJ Membership, uh, which is the audio recordings of tonight's classes. Thanks so much for joining us. Finally, any other questions, comments, concerns, considerations, please let me know. I'd love to hear from you. God bless your day.